the book of Judges now, um, on page 258, chapter 21, under the heading, Wives of the Benjamites. The men of Israel had taken an oath at Mizpah. Not one of us will give his daughter in marriage to a Benjamite. The people went to Bethel, where they sat before God until evening, raising their voices and weeping bitterly. O Lord, the God of Israel, they cried. Why has this happened to Israel? Why should one tribe be missing from Israel today? Early the next day, the people built an altar and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Israelites asked, Who from all the tribes of Israel has failed to assemble before the Lord? For they had taken a solemn oath that anyone who failed to assemble before the Lord at Mizpah should certainly be put to death. Now the Israelites grieved for their brothers, the Benjamites. Today one tribe is cut off from Israel, they said. How can we provide wives for those who are left? Since we have taken an oath by the Lord not to give them any of our daughters in marriage. Then they asked, which one of the tribes of Israel failed to assemble before the Lord at Mizpah? They discovered that no one from Jabesh Gilead had come to the camp for the assembly. For when they counted the people, they found that none of the people of Jabesh Gilead was there. So the assembly sent 12,000 fighting men with instructions to go to Jabesh Gilead and put to the sword those living there, including the women and children. This is what you are to do, they said. Kill every male and every woman who is not a virgin. They found among the people living in Jabesh Gilead 400 young women who had never slept with a man and they took them to the camp at Shiloh in Canaan. Then the whole assembly sent an offer of peace to the Benjamites at the Rock of Rimon. So the Benjamites returned at that time and were given the women of Jabesh Gilead who had been spared, but there were not enough for all of them. The people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a gap in the tribes of Israel. And the elders of the assembly said, with the women of Benjamite destroyed, Benjamin destroyed, how shall we provide wives for the men who are left? The Benjamite survivors must have heirs, they said, so that a tribe of Israel will not be wiped out. We can't give them our daughters as wives, since we Israelites have taken this oath. Cursed be anyone who gives a wife to a Benjamite. But look, there is the annual festival of the Lord in Shiloh, to the north of Bethel and east of the road that goes from Bethel to Shechem and to the south of Lebanon. So they instructed the Benjamites, saying, Go and hide in the vineyards and watch. When the girls of Shiloh came out to join in the dancing, then rush from the vineyards, and each of you seize a wife from the girls of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. When their fathers or brothers complain to us, we will say to them, Do us a kindness by helping them because we did not get wives for them during the war, and you are innocent since you did not give your daughters to them. So that is what the Benjamites did. While the girls were dancing, each man caught one and carried her off to be his wife. Then they returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and settled in them. At that time, the Israelites left that place and went home to their tribes and clans, each to his own inheritance. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Morning. Let's pray. 
Gracious Father, we pray that as we look at your word, you would help us. We pray that you would help us to understand what you are saying. Please help us to be enthused about that and to be encouraged, to be corrected, to be trained, to make us reflective on our own lives and our world and protect me, we pray. Keep me from error, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We finish our series on the book of Judges today and I, uh, I assume you were listening just then and so in one sense uh, it's a horror show. I'm hoping you've realised that. Uh, at the end of the book of Judges, remember that we started out and there was this cycle that went around and around and it sort of started to spiral down. By the end of the book, the cycles disappeared and we are left in people a long way away from the God that they say they follow and uh, all these things happen. Two weeks ago, we talked about this. We've had a gap, so we had a gap last week. But two weeks ago, we started this tale with introducing ourselves to the Levite, God's minister, and we noticed how horrible he was. He's meant to be right at the centre of whom God wants <laughs> his people to be, and yet his very character is despicable at possibly even worse. We ask ourselves at the end of that, well, what will become of this people, of this nation, with people like that in control and under influence? And this is what becomes this last bit. I cannot uh, hide that this passage is not uplifting <laughs> in one sense. And yet, God is in the midst of us. Well, the council and holy war. The outcome of the council, which the Levite has brought together, is to go against war against their own people, their own tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. And you'll see that in verse 12 of uh, chapter 20. The council sends men to demand that the wicked men of Gibeah from our two weeks ago episode be handed over to them. They must pay for these terrible crimes. The Benjaminites won't do anything of this. They ignore it and instead they come up to fight in verse 14 and 15 of chapter 20. There are 26,000 of them and 700 special fighters. And so in retaliation or in response, Israel is able to muster up 400,000 men to fight their own people. And the amazing thing is, of course, as we've read this book, at no time has the nation been as unified now as at any other time. They've never done this before. And who are they doing it against? They're doing it against each other. Civil wars are very bloody. Uh, if we had Bob Carr here, have you ever heard Bob Carr talk on the Civil War? Uh, the US Civil War, that is. He can talk forever on the Civil War. Why? Because we're so bad. So many horrible tales, so many, so many details, <laughs> whatever. Civil wars are terrible. Spanish Civil War, Spain has never quite recovered 
If you go there, it still echoes in their mind, something that's almost 80 years ago, I think. And here, it has a terrible consequences. What you see is an attempt at negotiation, then an inquiry of the Lord, then they get defeated, then an inquiry of the Lord, and then they get defeated, and then an inquiry of the Lord, and they win. Or do they? The failure at the negotiation is no real surprise. The men of Gibeah uh, in general abuse the Levite and his companions, and then the rapists actively abuse them. Here the Benjamites as a whole hear of the assembly and they do not side with the assembly but instead side with the men of Gibeah. The evil at Gibeah that happened last episode we looked at now means a whole tribe of Israel is actually at war with the rest of the nation. The very fabric of this people is now threatened. The Levite, as we read along, that despicable character from the last story just disappears out of the narrative. He disappears completely, but we know that he was treated very badly. No real surprise. Everyone's treated badly in this, in this whole story. And set, the tone has changed. Through Judges, there has been a playful, almost funny satire happening throughout. Samson is, a, is, is an example of how there's, there's a playfulness in it that the, he sort of liked, even though he's a mess. But here that's now absent because there's nothing funny here. It's actually too awful. From verses 18 to 48, you have descriptions of the fighting and the fluctuating fortunes. But the three inquiries of the Lord in verse 18, verse 23, and in verse 28 are important. In verse 18, they say, who will go first to fight? Notice the decision is already made. Who will go first? They receive an answer, Judah and they get defeated. Verse 23, shall we go again against our brothers? The answer is yes. Verse 28, they get defeated. Verse 28, shall we go again against our brothers or shall we stop? Go again and I will give them into your hand. In the inquiries, you can sense a, a great sense of anxiety gathering because you go and it fails, you go and it fails, you can imagine. But they are already committed to war. The first inquiry, who will go first, tells you they have no other plan. They're not really listening to God. They already know and are committed to this war. The Lord is asked who should go up, Judah is given, but there's no promise that they'll win. Second inquiry shows a drastic loss of confidence, but now doubtful about the decision, they go anyway. The Lord sends them into battle again and they get another severe mauling. And after the first loss, they wept. Now they weep and offer sacrifices. That's what you do when you're desperate. 
you start doing things you've never you didn't do it before but now you try to win god's favor it's what all the peoples of the canaanites did around them how did you win over god's favor you did things and you tried to please him well that's not been the game that's not been what the lord has ever asked them to do but on they go with their worthless rituals and blah 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 in the third inquiry they specifically asked whether they should give sure should give up or just stop this time the lord promises victory and the fortunes are reversed israel wins but have they really won israel wins but because it only happens in verse 34 and verse 35 that actually the lord intervenes in the episode in that episode you see that the lord actually takes his place at the head of the assembly but the punishment of benjamin becomes the opportunity for everyone to be chastised chapter 21 verses 1 to 25 which is what we read comes up with the story of the wives for benjamin just when you think the story will move to the end, another complication arises in chapter 21, verse 1. Israel has sworn an oath. It loves to swear oaths. And it says it will not give their daughters to anyone. Uh, sorry, no one should give their daughter to marry a Benjamite. In the heat of battle, seeking their revenge, they make, in verse 5, an unwise oath. The oath is to kill all those who did not come up to fight Benjamin. So remember, they've gathered all the people in their great wisdom and they've all come out and they make this vow. Whoever does not come will pay. Only after the battle do they realise what they have done. But the mistake has already been made. The Benjamite women have been slaughtered all of them 600 male survivors of benjamin survive and they realize what they've done we have wiped out a whole tribe of israel what are we doing if the excessive slaughter is isn't horrendous enough we've committed genocide on our own countrymen and they assemble at bethel and weep in chapter 21 verse 3 they say this why O lord god of israel has this come about in israel that one tribe has been lost to israel it might not quite come out in the translation but in the hebrew it implies that this is all god's fault the inquiry proves to be less of a request and more of a protest why has this happened to us O lord god i.e why didn't you stop it god ends up being guilty in their inquiry and they absolve themselves before the lord was he did would chastise them by speaking here he chastises them by remaining silent and so a solution presents itself. A roll call is, reveals that not everyone has fronted up to this battle. 
One town has not come. Jabesh Gilead in verse 8. They've failed to turn up. And they remember quite conveniently that oath they made. An oath that anyone who did not turn up would pay with their lives. And so a force of men is dispatched in all great wisdom. They slaughter all the inhabitants of the town except the women of marriageable age in verse 11. This despicable act is not yet finished, though. The operation only yields 400 wives. What is the plan? They are to take these women and give them to the Benjamites who have now been slaughtered, have slaughtered all the rest of them. So I know what we'll do. We'll take these 400, we'll slaughter all them, take these women and give them to them. That'll solve it, won't it? But we're 200 short. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? Fortunately, wisdom prevails. I'm hoping you're getting the sarcasm in that. Verses 16 to 19, the senior elders of the council bring a solution. They remember that there's a festival over here in the vineyards in Shiloh. It's to the Lord and the local girls gather to dance. And so they, what they say to the 200 guys who haven't got a wife anymore, you go over to the vineyard to this festival and when you see the girls dancing, run in, grab one and take her away. When the men of Shiloh complain, they've got a ready-made excuse. Don't worry, verse 22. When their fathers or brothers complain to us, we will say to them, do us a kindness by helping them, these poor little Benjamites, because we do not get wise for them during the war, and you are innocent since you do not give your daughters to them. I wonder if you remember back to the the episode of the Levite arriving in the hospitality. You remember when the evil, wicked men were outside? Remember the host wanted to throw out his daughter? Now, that didn't happen. We know that something horrible happened, and now it happens. The girls have been not captured in battle, so the men of Shiloh are not bound to actually get even. Conduct a vendetta. No blood has been shared, and since they've been given involuntarily, you haven't done anything wrong. This is the wisdom that is to explain it. It's somehow almost all, almost cleverly avoids all the moral issues at the same time as being morally bankrupt. In effect, the men of Shiloh are asked to accept the human trafficking, sex slavery, and abduction of their, of their daughters as a fait accompli which they have no control over nor no blame in. The climax of the story finds the elders of Israel doing exactly what the Levites' host did at Gibeah. In the end, the behaviour of the, of the assembly is almost a comedy if we could raise the thought of laughing. It's a comedy of correctness, as was the host in Gibeah. Somehow peace is restored and miraculously Israel survives. But at the start of this, if we thought, what will happen to Israel 
when that Levite is running the place, we see and we wonder how did they survive and how long can they? As I said, this whole part of this story at the end of Judges is a, is a tale about moral chaos. By the end of the story, you see the extent of that chaos. Random and rash decisions, oaths made rashly and quickly, and then oaths used to get around other oaths, strange moral correctness when everything is wrong, blatant hypocrisy, perpetrating the same ills that they are so self-righteously indignated by. It is a mess. The Lord's silence and his directions are ways in which he uses to punish and conjole what's going on. He gives them, in one sense, what their itching ears are longing to hear. And he leads them to the actions of their own wisdom. Wow. <laughs> You're sitting there going, boy, oh boy. Is this in the Bible? <laughs> is this God's word? You're saying, what can you learn? The original hearers of the book, of course, were given this message, the thing that frames the start of this tale and the end. In those days, Israel had no king, and at the end it adds, everyone did as he saw fit. The message was this. The monarchy is the way that God will establish and run our country and we will continue in that as God has made his covenant with his servant David and will rule from the centre. Right decisions and actions will follow if we follow him. The original earth, uh, here has heard that message and heard what the chaos of the past had been. And they should have known, and maybe they did know, that what they need is God at the centre of their lives. But when Jesus turned up, let's just jump all the way to that. When Jesus turned up, what did he find? The rulers of God's people had, again, lost their way. Jesus is accused of blasphemy. He's accused of breaking God's law. Remember when he healed someone, made them well. When did he do that? He did that on the Sabbath. You blasphemer. <laughs> That's what they said. Jesus hung around with the wrong people. He hung around with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus was even accused of being possessed by the devil. That was to explain how he could do the things, all those amazing things that God had given him the power to do. For he was God on earth. And instead of welcoming Jesus, instead of recognizing whom the one whom the Lord had sent, what did they do? They schemed when they should have been praising God for keeping his promises to them. They plotted to kill him. Their wicked ways are completely the opposite of what God's ways is. And Jesus speaks truth to that wickedness. And that wickedness response is crucify him. 
Human kindness, wickedness is certainly exposed in this story. Many times you hear of acts that make us shudder. We can reflect on the war in Russia right now. We, many people have. Why does Russia, why has it continued to be and go and do what it has done? It's easy target. Right at the centre is a man who cannot do anything else but be this and be this and be this. Nothing has changed. Human nature continues in the same way. Romans 3 is, a, I think we read Romans 3. Did we read Romans 3? It was good, isn't it? it? It talks just very literally about what is in here. And you can point it yourself if you like too, because the Bible does. What is in all of us? The human heart is corrupt. I know a lot of really nice people, do you? I know a lot of nice people. And yet our world reflects more of what this is like. Time and time again, if you have eyes to see, you will see the corruptness of the human heart. And that's my heart too. As I said, one of my friends asked the question, what will you do if you get power? The world tells you what humans do when we get power. And so just like the hearers, we still need to hear this message, that we need our Lord God at the centre of our lives. We need God as our king. Jesus came and he did died by his died a death we dare not die. He died for us to take us from death to life, to save, to change us from the inside out that we might be more like him. Our Western world shows that influence over the top of it. In one sense, that's crumbling away. And we wonder, don't we, what, where will we go? But coming back to us, Jesus came for us that we might turn and acknowledge and serve him. He's overruled the chaos in our lives and in our hearts. And the only way for us and all of humankind to avoid that chaos and corruption is Jesus. Jesus came that we might know God, know his ways and live by them. Judges shows us it can affect our it certainly shows us in this thing how our decision-making processes can go completely and utterly awry. Our moral judgments completely and utterly bankrupt. We should be slow to act, quick to pray, open to the counsel of others, willing to be corrected, able to change direction, all done in humility. The humility of the Saviour who came and cherished you and brought you back to himself. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we are in one sense uh, stunned by this passage. It's, uh, 
it's pretty shocking to read and to hear and to talk about. But we know why it's been written. It's been written that we might know that this is what can happen in our world. It can even happen amongst people who say they know you. Lord, the world and history is full of examples like this. Wars have been fought and have been continued and have been prosecuted with just this sort of great decision-making, we say, in sarcasm. Lord, we pray that you would save us from yourselves, from ourselves, that, Lord, we ask that you would make in us a people who follow you. We thank you that Jesus came as our king, that we might know his rule and majesty as he rules in truth, in purity, and in love. And we ask, Lord, that we might follow him. We pray for our world that, Lord, you might cause a revival, that people might see and know that you are God, might turn from their ways and turn to you and you would lead us all to uh, in the, the power of your spirit and in your glory we pray in Jesus name amen <laughs>